Good morning, Great Oaks. So I heard a story a few years ago about a man by the name of Chris Brossett who made a statement that really rocked the Christian world, a statement that's been quoted in numerous places, uh, been quoted uh, in numerous books throughout the years. And that statement was this, that gangs are more like family and more committed than the church. Chris, who is now a pastor in California, you see, was not always a follower of Jesus. In fact, early in his life, he was a member of a gang. And he tells a story when he was new in his relationship with Jesus, but he was struggling to fall back into old gang ways. And it was a season in which his marriage was falling apart. During this time, he said, I was attending a men's Bible study at a conference or at a church called Cornerstone Church. The church was teaching about Christian community and the language family was the most prominent term that was used. As a gang member, we also use this word in the hood. Therefore, I had preconceived notions as to the gravity of this definition. In the hood, we were together all of the time. Being from the same gang meant that we were willing to die for one another. To say that we are family carried the expectation that my burdens were the responsibility of my homies to shoulder with me. Yes, I just said homies. I can, I, that's not my word. I'm a middle-aged white guy. I know, but just, that's his quote. He says, growing up in a broken home, I had a very disjointed view of family, and joining a gang met the relational needs for which I longed. He said, when my marriage was falling apart, and I was regularly being called to return to my previous lifestyle, I decided to reach out to this men's Bible study for help. I'd never been vulnerable with anyone, and I was afraid of being rejected. On a Monday night, I decided to share what I was going through. In detailing my struggles, they met me with moral platitudes and busy schedules. I asked if I could spend time with someone, hang out, or call them when I needed to talk. In response, they told me I was asking for way too much. That if I wanted to hang out, I had to schedule it with them a week or two in advance. They overemphasized their busy lives and how it's not courteous to call someone at random times. He said, I was perplexed and hopeless. At that point, I gave in to the pressure. I went back to the hood and tried to make a sense of everything that had happened. Following up with me, Matt Moore, a pastor at Cornerstone, reached out to ask, why did I leave the church? In pain, I told him I was confused. I mentioned that I didn't understand why the church would say we're a family when they treated one another like business colleagues. At this point, I said, it feels like gangs are more like family and more committed than the church. Well, good morning. Welcome to Great Oaks. My name is Paul, and I am the discipleship pastor here. And we are in week three of a series here we're calling Equipped. And in this series, we're exploring what it really means to be the church. In week one, Jason taught us that as a church, we are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we're passionate about the gospel of Jesus, as we bring that into our communities, into our homes, sometimes we have to step into the gray rather than always live in the black and white. And I would encourage you to go back and to listen to that message. It was a great one. And then last week, Pastor Chase talked about how as we are focused on the gospel, it means we're solely focused on that and we don't add things to the gospel. That we avoid legalism and we, we just present the gospel and, and Jesus changes people. And that was another great message. I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Well, this week, I get to talk to you about something that I'm deeply passionate about. And, and the thing that is really important to me is that as a church, one of the things we're going to learn about being equipped is that we are intentional about relationships. And so what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of God's word 
that paints this picture of what it really means to be intentional about relationships. And we find this passage in the book of Acts. Now, for those that are newer to the church or newer to the Bible, in the New Testament, which is like halfway through the Bible, you have the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell and describe the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then after these four four accounts of Jesus' life, you have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts describes what the early church was like. So so Jesus has lived. He is killed on the cross for the sins of the world. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And in it, we get this amazing gift of God's grace. We get to know and experience the love of God. This is the gospel. But then in the book of Acts, we see how those early disciples lived out that gospel day after day. We see how they responded to God's amazing love for them. We, we see them telling others about Jesus. We see them wrestle with how do we love people that are different from us. We, and we see them being intentional about relationships. So here's the bottom line this morning. If you remember nothing else, if you want to check out after this, here's the bottom line. Following Jesus leads us to be tenacious about relationships. Following Jesus leads us to be tenacious about relationships. So if you want, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 42 through 47. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's totally cool. The words are up on the screen. You can also follow along in the Bible app. And I'm going to be reading from the uh, New International Version, the NIV Version this morning. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Let me just pray for a second. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we explore this text now this morning, God, I pray that you'd speak and that my words would not be my own, but be yours. Change us and challenge us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that passage of scripture, when I read about the community that they had together, there's something that stirs deep within my soul. See, deep down, I crave this kind of community, this kind of connection. And I think that's the norm for most people. And I think it's the norm for most people is because you and I are made in the image of God. See, way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then in verse 27, we see God do that. So he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's the creation story. But I want to focus in on verse 26 there for a moment. I don't know if you caught this. But God says, let us make mankind in our image. You see the plural there? You might not have known this before, but God in himself has always been a perfect relationship. He's always been a perfect relationship for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the mystery of the Trinity, and I know it's all kind of crazy to get our minds wrapped around. But God in himself has never been alone. He's always been in a relationship with himself. And you and I are made in the image of God. So what that means is part of what it means to be human 
is that you and I are also made for relationships. You and I are made to be in a relationship with God and made to be in a relationship with one another. Now, I get it. Some of you in this room are going, yeah, but Paul, here's the thing. I don't like people. Some of you are thinking that. I know that because I've talked to some of you. You don't like people. You would rather sit in your house, watch Netflix all day, and not talk to anyone ever again. You're much more comfortable being by yourself. And and I get it. I know that there's people that are much more comfortable being by themselves. You're much more introverted. You're, You're comfortable that way. But I still believe even the most introverted person in the world is still created to be loved. You still crave connection and companionship. It might take you a little bit longer to feel comfortable, to warm up to others. You might not like a big crowd like this. You might prefer a few people, close, tight relationships. But you are created to be known and to know others. And I know that because you are made in the image of God. And it is not good for us to be alone. It is not good for us to be isolated. I think we know this at our core. I mean, let's be real for a moment. These last couple years have been terribly isolating. With a global pandemic, there has been a need to protect one another. And at times to pull back from relationships so that others can be safe. It was an act of deep love to do that. I know we did this in my family. We had relatives that were very vulnerable. My father-in-law almost died from COVID. So we understood the, the importance of that. And yet at the same time, the effects of that isolation have been devastating. The rise in depression and anxiety coming out of the pandemic has been overwhelming. My wife works as a therapist. And the level of anxiety and depression is just increasing astronomically. Now part of that is because of the fear that's around, but part of that is because we have been in isolation. We've been cut off from community and relationships. There's a book I read a few years ago called Refrigerator Rights. It's written by a guy named Dr. Will Miller, who is a comedian, psychologist, and pastor. That's a crazy combination right there. Uh, But he talks a lot about relational health in the book. He says, those with refrigerator rights feel close enough to us to walk into our home, open the refrigerator, and help themselves. Now, this is not kind of in a Kramer from Seinfeld kind of weird way, you know, where you just burst in and take whatever you want. No, it's it's a refrigerator rights where you've invited that person into your home, into your life, into your relationships, and into your refrigerators. And what Dr. Miller, as a psychologist, has discovered, and this was decades before a global pandemic, was that much of the mental illness that we struggle with in this country is because we're relationally isolated. We are cut off from those kind of refrigerator right relationships. We're more mobile as a culture. People move away from family. We're tied down to cell phones and screens. We drive our cars into our garages, close the garage or walk into our house and never know our neighbor's names. And when this happens, when we're cut off from community like this, when we're not intentional about relationships, negative things begin to happen. Anxiety, depression, mental illness increases. So so here's the crazy thing, right? If we know we're wired, we're made, created by God to be in relationship, we know that when we're not in relationships, that all kinds of struggles end up happening, why is it still a struggle for us to find it? When it's good for us to be connected to one another, why is it still hard for us to live that out day in and day out? I mean, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and we get this beautiful picture of what community can really be, and yet for most of our lives, I think we, we struggle to really live that way. 
And I think the reason we struggle to live that way is we're not intentional about creating it. In fact, we're not tenacious to go after it. See, that's what we see in the book of Acts. The community that they experienced did not happen by accident. I think sometimes we think, okay, okay, they came to Jesus, they loved uh, Jesus, and then they loved one another, and this beautiful thing ended up being created. But the truth of the matter is they were tenacious about making it happen. They worked for the community. Let me, let me show you what I mean. If you look at verse 42, in verse 42 it says they were devoted. And it says they were devoted to all different kinds of things. But let me talk about that word devoted for a moment. When we think of devoted, I think of, you know, I'm committed to something. I'm a devoted employee. I show up to work on time. I'm a devoted volunteer. I give my time and talent. I'm devoted to my marriage. I'm committed to my marriage. And so we think of devoted as committed. But, but the real definition of the word devoted is much more than that. Being devoted to something means being focused on that particular thing almost exclusively. When you're devoted to a cause, you work to achieve its goals. When you're devoted to a person, you place their needs above your own. And that's actually what's being described here in Acts chapter 2. The Greek word that's used there can actually be better described, better translated as tenaciously pursuing that thing. Tenaciously pursuing that thing. Think about it this way. Think about an Olympic athlete. Think about the level of work and effort that it takes to be an Olympic athlete. The level of training and tenacity that's required to get to the Olympics, let alone to actually win a medal. Malcolm Gladwell, an author of uh, an incredibly popular and best-selling book, Outliers, suggests that in order to achieve greatness in any field, whether it's a sport or business or academia, you must be com- have committed at least 10,000 hours to practice. So let me put that in to help you uh, lay that out. If you spend an entire year... Eight hours a day focused on relationships, just focused on building relationships with one another, it would take you almost three and a half years to be really good at it. You would need to spend three and a half years, eight hours a day working on relationships to be really good at it. That's the kind of tenacity that it takes to really develop this kind of community. When you think about committing your life to one another, being devoted to one another, have you committed 10,000 hours? Devoting this much time and energy to relationships. And and if I could say another word quickly. I know some of you are introverts in this room, and so when I say 10,000 hours of relationships, you're freaking out right now. I get it. It's okay. But others of you in this room, you're like, I've I've done that. I, I have put in an effort. I have worked towards it. And in the process, I've gotten hurt. I've put myself out there. I've been vulnerable. And in the process, I've been hurt. And I get it. Church hurt is some of the worst. But if we just give up in that practice, if we just give up being tenacious about relationships, we'll never get to experience the beautiful community that's described in Acts chapter 2. Yes, if you put yourself out there, there's a possibility you might get hurt, but there's also a possibility you're not going to experience the kind of love and community that's existing here in Acts chapter 2. So what I want to do with our remaining time is I want to unpack a little bit more specifically how the early church was tenacious about relationships. I want to talk a little bit more about the four things that they did that really showed their tenacity towards relationships. And the first thing we see them tenacious about is they were tenacious about learning. If you look at uh, verse 42, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were devoted, they were tenacious about learning the things of Jesus. 
And we don't know for sure all the details of things that they were learning. But we can be assured that what they learned the most about was Jesus. We know this because at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and makes this grand speech about Jesus and what, who Jesus was and all that he did. But then later on in verse 42, it says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, most scholars think this breaking of bread is different from what's happening at the end of the passage. At the end of the passage, it says they, they, they shared meals, they broke bread in each other's homes. That, that was like a meal. But at the beginning of the passage, what they're talking about is communion. They're, they're celebrating communion together. They were devoted to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus on their behalf. That's the message that Jason and Chase were talking about over the last few weeks. It's a passion and a focus on the gospel. They were devoted. They were tenaciously pursuing Jesus. And you know how this devotion gets played out? Look at verse 46. In verse 46, it says, Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Now, here's the interesting thing about the temple courts. In, in the early church, where they were talking about Jesus, where the apostles were teaching them about Jesus was in the temple courts. And I love what it says. It doesn't say that they just showed up for an hour on a Sunday morning. It says they showed up every single day. I mean, let's be real. It's, it's hard for us to give just an hour to learning more about Jesus every single week. But they were so passionate about, so tenacious about learning more about Jesus, they did it every single day. That's the first thing they were tenacious about. The second thing they were tenacious about was intimacy with others and intimacy with God. Now, I'm choosing the word intimacy this morning, and I thought about, is there a different word I could use? Because intimacy has some different connotations sometimes, and if we were intimate in the way that you think I'm thinking about intimacy, that would be a really weird church. But intimacy that I'm talking about is an intimacy of relationship. Intimacy means a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or a group. If you look again at verse 42, it says in verse 42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and then it says to fellowship. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, when, when we use the word fellowship, I often think of a, a, a good church potluck. Anybody like a good church potluck in the room? Some of you like a good church potluck. Okay, I think of potlucks when I think of fellowship because I was part of a church for a while that had a fellowship hall. And in the fellowship hall, that's where we had the good, you know, casseroles and, and fried chicken. And that, that, that happened there. And so that's what I think of a fellowship. But fellowship is a much deeper word than just gathering together for a meal every once in a while. The Greek word that's used for fellowship is the word koinonia. It's a word that means more than friendship. It actually is a word that means intimacy. It means connection. It means deeply knowing one another and doing life together. Let me ask you a question. Who knows you? Really knows you? Do you have relationships with people where you can be real? Where you can be vulnerable? Where you can share what is really happening in your life? Let me go back to a concept I introduced earlier. Who has refrigerator rights in your life? Who knows you so well that they can come over, open your fridge, and grab whatever they want whenever they want it? Who knows you well enough that they can come over when your house is a mess, when you're not showered in days, when the dishes are piled high in the sink, the laundry is not done, and they do not care, and neither do you? Who can you share the things you're struggling with? Who are the, who are the people in your life that you can, I like to use the phrase, they're your big bad nasties, the things that you don't want to tell anybody about? 
And when you share those things with them, they meet you with love and grace and compassion. And they say, I'm going to pray for you and we're going to get through this together. Who are those people in your life? Intimacy with one another. That's what's being described here in Acts chapter 2. But it's not just intimacy with one another. It's also an intimacy with God together. Because also in verse 42, it says they were also committed to prayer. See, the kind of community they experienced here was not just a, a horizontal community. It wasn't just community for community's sake. It was intimacy with one another, but intimacy with God together. And so let's take it one step further. Do you have people that pray for you and pray with you? Now, that's really scary right there. I know some of you are going, like, praying with each other, like, out loud. It's really scary. What if I say the wrong thing? I mean, it's, it's deeply vulnerable. But that's what was happening in the early church. They were praying together. They were devoted to seeking God together. You know, one of the worst things that's happened for the American church is our culture's obsession with rugged individualism. The idea that we can plot our own course, that we don't need anyone else, that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. At some point, our faith has become about me and God. It is my personal relationship with Jesus. But listen, for the early church, for most of Christian history, it was not me and God, it was we and God. I had this really crazy idea this morning, I was, just to make this point clear. I was going to get rid of all the rows, and I was going to have us sit at round tables around this room. So you guys would actually have to sit there and look at each other and stare at each other in the face. And all of you are going, that would have been really weird. For the early church, that's how they did life. It wasn't about me and God just all facing forward. It was about us being together. It was about we and God. Pursuing God together. Pursuing intimacy with each other and with God. And this we and God idea actually leads to the next point. The other thing that they were tenacious about is they were tenacious about generosity. It says, based on this devotion to one another, this koinonia fellowship, in verse 44, it says that they had everything in common. They had everything in common. And then verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to others in need. Can you imagine that for a moment? I want you to look at the person next to you, not the person you came with, not your family member. Look at someone who you're not related to. Look at them for a moment. If they came to you and said, I have a need. We've got something that's going on in our life. Would would you be willing to give to them in need? Would you be willing to sell property if it meant taking care of their needs? That's what's happening here in the passage. This is how much they loved one another, how much they cared for one another. I know, it's crazy, right? Because the things we think about are, hey, what about providing for my own family? What about one day retiring and having something left over to live on? What, what about making sure I don't starve to death and that I'm left penniless? One of my favorite pastors is a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Uh, Francis Chan uh, once said something that cut me deep to the heart. He said, imagine one day you're standing before the Lord on your judgment day. Would you rather say to God, God, I, I did well. I saved up. I had a nice house and cars, passed some resources onto my kids, all the while knowing that there are other followers of Jesus around the world that are starving and homeless. Or would you rather stand before your maker and say to him, God, I followed your example, and I tried to give as much away as possible, tried to make sure others were, who were less fortunate than I had something to eat. Which person do you think God will say, well done, good and faithful servant? This is tenacious generosity to one another. 
Listen, Great Oaks, one of the things I love about this church is that you are incredibly generous. You already give freely to others in need. It's one of the things that makes us such a great body of believers. But listen, are we generous till it hurts? Are we generous with our extra or are we generous even when it costs us? Do we live in such a way that, when, what, that what we have is really not ours? Do you think of your possessions as a shared item that you can give to others in need? I know this is a struggle for me. When I see somebody in need, I, I give a million excuses why I shouldn't do this. You know, what if, what if, what if giving to them enables some bad behavior that they're going to continue to do? That's what I often think. It's hard. As Jason said, it's living in the gray a little bit. But do I have a heart that's willing to be radically generous with those that need? Which leads us to our fourth and final point. They are also tenacious to create space for others. I love God's word. And I love God's word because I learn more and more as I read it. I've probably read this passage in Acts chapter 2 probably over 500 times in my life. And I've taught, for it more t- taught from it more times than I can remember. But I never caught this last part until this week. You, you see, we can pursue learning the things about Jesus. We can be tenacious about intimacy with God and others. We can be tenacious in being radically generous. But we can also miss one of the greatest parts of this passage. And that even as we're intentional about creating community with one another, they also made space for bringing others into this life-changing community. They also created space for others. Let me explain. Look at verse 41. Chase uh, read it, or, uh, recited it earlier when he was doing baptisms. In verse 41, before the passage, it says, Those who accepted his, accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then in verse 42, our passage, it says, and they devoted themselves. I never noticed this before, but who is the they in verse 42? For the longest time, I was thinking it was the people before the 3,000 got added. It was the, the, that early, early church. I mean, I knew that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus, and, and, and they began those relationships. But I never thought that they were also part of that life-changing community. But the the they in verse 42 is the original church and the 3,000 who are tenacious about relationships. So one of the things the church did then is, so you have a smaller group, and then 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and now all those 3,000 people are part of this life-changing community. And then in verse 47, it says, they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added number, added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the church keeps growing and growing and growing. But as they're growing, these new people that are now followers of Jesus get enfolded into this life-changing community. And so what you see in the church is that they were intentional. They were tenacious about creating space for new people to come in and be part of this. Listen, Great Oaks, I know that you are generous with your finances. But are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your home? Are you generous with your space? Are you tenacious about creating community with people who already call Great Oaks their church home? But are you also intentional and tenacious about creating space with people who are not here yet, who don't know Jesus yet? Do you create space for your neighbors, your coworkers, to be part of something amazing? And even more than that, the way that we do relationships with one another, is it attractive? 
the way that we love one another and are committed to one another and tenacious for one another, do people look at that and say, man, I see Jesus all over that. The way that you pursue learning about Jesus, the way you build intimacy with others, the way that you're generous with what you've been given, the way you create space for new people, do people look at that and say, man, I I want part of that. I want to be a part of that. I I, I see Jesus in that. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. That's what God did in Acts chapter 2. They loved one another so much, were so tenacious for one another, that God kept exploding the number of people that were following Jesus. And shameless plug here, this is why I love life groups. This is why here at Great Oaks we are passionate about life groups. The things we see in Acts chapter 2, the level of devotion and tenacity of relationships in Acts chapter 2 is the same things we strive for in our life groups. If you're newer to Great Oaks, life groups are groups of 8 to 12 people who ideally gather together to do life together. And I could tell you the rhythms that we want to see practiced in life group are the same things right out of Acts chapter 2. We want to see our groups learning together about Jesus as they study God's word. We want them to be praying for one another, enjoying fellowship and and intimacy with one another, carrying each other's burdens, being generous with one another. Great Oaks, life groups are not just a program that we have. They are the embodiment of the church doing life together. This is great. Gathering together on a Sunday morning, it's like the temple courts. We're gathering together, worshiping God together. But life happens in circles with one another where you can stare at each other in the face and love one another and carry each other's burdens. And I I love what's happening in our life groups here. Over the last two months as I've been here, I've had great opportunities to meet our life group leaders, uh, hear their heart, visited some groups, and I, and I know that the foundations of what we're talking about here are in our groups that are existing right now. I've heard amazing stories of people doing life together, studying God's word together. Stories of people carrying each other's burdens. Heard one story of a group, someone who was going through a financial trouble, out of a job, and the group came together and said, okay, how can we provide for you for the next month? Stories of people being rushed to the hospital with a sickness and, hey, I'll come over and watch your kids so you can go. Things of that nature. People doing life together. That's the good stuff, folks. The heart of this Acts chapter 2 is present here. Now, that's not to say that we're going to do life groups perfectly. Because we won't. And we won't because they're filled with people like you. And people like me. Who make mistakes. Who foul things up. Who hurt one another. That happens. And if that's happened to you here at, at Great Oaks in a life group, I'm sorry. We're going to work on making that better. But even with all the faults that they have, I'm still 100% committed to making that happen because in it is life. In it is where transformation and change happens. It's where people feel loved, where they feel known, and they would feel that deep connection to one another. Great Oaks, if you're not plugged into a group yet, I want to highly encourage you to do so. You can do so by step, stopping at our Connection Central or go to the website. There's a group link. There's a list of groups there. There's also people in the room this morning wearing a brown or, or gray uh, life group shirt. These are our life group leaders. You can chat with them. They would love to tell you about their group. Uh, they do that really well. If you're already in a group, awesome. That's great. Uh, here's my question. Who's the person you need to create space for so that they can be part of the life-changing community you're experiencing? Or if you're already in a group, maybe it's time for you to step up and lead a group of your own 
And if you're interested in that, come talk to me. I would love to give you the steps and, and talk, to about, talk to you about what that process would look like. Truly, we desire to be a church of life groups where every person is engaged in this kind of life-changing community. We're not there yet. We have a ways to grow. We have leaders to raise up, communities to solidify, and forgiveness to be asked for and granted. But Lord willing, uh, we're going to get there. Now to wrap up this morning, I want to share the rest of the story that was told by Chris Brossett. You see, the article that I was quoting from in 2017 was an article in which he was retracting his previous statement. He was saying, I wish I'd never said what I said, that gangs were more like family than the church, because that line has been used to destroy the church, because that was not the end of the story. Sometime later, I found out, he said, this is his quote, I found out later that my wife was pregnant with our second child. We were both on drugs. I was regularly hanging out with gang members, and our marriage was on its final leg. Somehow, we ended up at an apartment complex late at night. And I was smoking weed with my homies. Again, his word, not mine. I left my wife in the car, pregnant, with my first daughter. Looking over at the car, I became terrified and realized something desperately needed to change. On the way home, I apologized to my wife for failing her, and we went back to church that weekend. Sitting behind us was a mighty woman of God. And it was as if God spoke directly to her, and she was not letting us get out of her sight. She grabbed me by the shoulder, pressed us for our phone number, and relentlessly followed up with us. She wasn't a leader in the church. She had no agenda. She was going to make sure we did not slip through the cracks. Over the next few weeks, we were at our house for dinner. She came over to ours, and she displayed what authentic biblical family was. She wasn't afraid of us. She loved us. She was a Christian. Her name is Adriana, and her husband, John, was right by her side. I thank God for Adriana. I love her so much. Soon after, my wife gave birth to our second daughter. What happened next blew my mind. We were still struggling to escape the grips of our previous life, and Adriana and John were the only real community we had. However, she knew that her job was to plug us in with other Christians so we didn't fall back. On her own accord, she gathered an entire community group to randomly show up at our house and bring us a meal. And when they decided to come, we were having a barbecue with some of our old friends. In attendance were armed gang members full of tattoos on a dead-end street in a dangerous neighborhood. Knocking on the door was a group of fearless suburban Christians who cared more about us than their safety. Over the next few weeks, they brought us meals, talked us into joining their group, in the coming months, they would pay our rent, talk with me at random hours, speak into my marriage, and invite us over in the middle of the night to play video games. They loved us. They were Christians. I don't like the conclusions the people draw from my statement, Chris said. In fact, I retract it altogether. I made it in confusion, ignorant of the historical witness of the church, and void of real Christians in my life. Gang members are not more like family than the church. Gang members sell each other out, kill one another, are selfish, and most gang members I know won't die for their hood if they have a way out. The church is not so. Christians are courageous. Christians are selfless. Christians care about the good of others and will give their life for their enemies. Christians are loyal, gracious, selfless, and more committed to God than any gang member I've ever met. The church of Jesus Christ is the most daring, selfless, and devout group of human beings I've ever encountered. 
Great Oaks, here's my heart. I don't want us to be extraordinary followers of Jesus. I just want us to be ordinary followers of Jesus who are devoted to him and devoted to loving one another. God is calling us to be tenacious about relationships, to be devoted to one another, and to love one another with the love and grace of Jesus. That's what God is calling us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning and for the word that you've brought to us. God, we need your help in this. It's challenging and difficult to love people sometimes because we hurt each other, we fall short, we don't meet expectations. So God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to be tenacious in loving one another. Help us to be tenacious in going after relationships with one another. God, do something amazing and miraculous, just like you did in Acts chapter 2, where they loved one another so much that they saw Jesus all over it and people, countless people were added to their numbers. God, I pray the same thing for Great Oaks. God, that the way that we would love one another would be so amazing that countless people would be drawn here to experience Jesus, what you're doing in our lives. God, we love you so much. It's in his name we pray. Amen.